University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. To the one who hears us when we speak and when we cannot even utter a word, we offer these prayers to you. Light a fire of excitement and anticipation in this congregation, God. As the search committee forms and gets to work and the deacons band together for ministry, and staff continues to care and love and visit and pray and preach and teach. Give them patience as they seek and await their new pastor or pastors. Let each member, where the clergy or layperson, be a sanctuary for the other and open their hands and their hearts to the larger Baton Rouge area. Bless the work that is being done now the work that has been done to get the congregation to where it is now, and the work that will happen in the days and weeks and months ahead. Hear our prayers for healing. And with your mighty outstretched hand, please, God, heal. Heal us. Heal our loved ones. Heal our brokenness. Heal. And if our prayers do not turn into healing, change our prayers to acceptance, understanding, and even wholeness. Show us how to put legs to our prayers and do the work that we can. Give us courage to do justice. Give us compassion to love mercy. Give us self-awareness to walk humbly before you. We offer our prayers in the name of of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and always. Amen. Now hear a passage from Luke this morning where Jesus heals uh, the man with a demon in the Gerasenes. When they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee, and as he stepped out onto land, a man in that city who had demons met him. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but among the tombs. And when Jesus saw him, he fell before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. And for many times it had seized him and kept... uh, And he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds 
and be driven by the demons into the wilds. And Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. And now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine, of pigs, was feeding. And the demons begged Jesus to let them enter into these. So Jesus gave them permission. And then the demons came out of the man and entered into the swine. And the herd rushed down a steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herd saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. And then people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. And then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them. For they were seized with great fear. So we got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And so he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You've got to wonder sometimes, where in the world is God. Or maybe like this gentleman in our gospel story today, we get so possessed by the devastations of this world and we just give up on God. The legion of tragedies that happen every day, the just, they just consume us. And there's so many that we can't even name them all. You don't even really have to watch the news to be overwhelmed by the legion. So that's what we'll just call it, legion. I think we have a lot more in common with this man and, and our story than we might imagine. So what did hope look like for him? And what can hope look like for us? Now, I actually run an organization called Together for Hope, so I better have some kind of answer for that one, right? I mean, Together for Hope. Hope. Hope is a powerful thing. And it's so much fun and deeply meaningful to work 
uh, with organizations in towns all across rural America around the concept of hope. Together for Hope, we, we, con- we focus on the 339 counties and parishes in America that suffer in persistent rural poverty. 339 counties and parishes. 22 of those parishes are right here in the state of Louisiana. Persistent rural poverty is defined by 20% or more of a rural county's population, 20% or more, living below the federal poverty line for the last 30 consecutive years or more. That is a lot to get your head around. That's deep and devastating poverty, generational poverty. And it's in those parishes and counties that we get to encounter truly incredible human beings. There are so many good people there doing such incredible work. And one of our most important jobs is simply to find those people because they are there and introduce them to one another. Build them into a coalition and then connect the gra- these grassroots leaders to grass top folks across the states and country. The whole, this whole space of connecting and convening happens around our bedrock philosophy called asset-based community development. Now, that's nothing new. Asset-based community development has been a long time. Uh, We had an amen section over here already. You may have heard about asset-based community development already. And it's really nothing hard to understand, and its simplicity is almost embarrassing. Uh, So we start with asset mapping exercises. And rather than coming into a community and asking everyone there, what do you need which is always the worst part of the community, we simply ask a different question. What do you have? Needs are important, but they are a terrible way to build a relationship. So if you, if you will, we're going to do an exercise right now in the middle of church, okay? Uh, and this exercise is going to illustrate... Uh, a needs assessment. It's only going to take a few minutes, but you will have to move around just a little bit. Uh, So I'm going to ask you guys to pair up. So if you're sitting by yourself, you need to move closer to somebody uh, because it's going to require two of you. So go ahead and start pairing up. Uh, And you don't have to, I mean, for real, uh, there you go. We got some movement here. Pair up with somebody, somebody beside you preferably. And now, instead of looking at me, I want you to look at each other, all right? There you go. Introverts, you're dying on the inside right now. I know that. And it's just uncomfortable to do this anyway. But look at each other. Don't look at me. Look at each other and spend just a few minutes looking at each other's face. Look at each other's eyes. Look at their nose. Look at their mouth. Look at their hair or no hair in my case. Look at their ears. Just take it in, like take their face in 
And when I count to three, I want you to tell each other everything that's bad about each other, everything that's wrong with each other, okay? All right, one, two, we're definitely not going to do that, right? I mean, listen, it's bad enough to look at each other for a long time like that, but what happens when the, ne- the question is, tell, or the instructions are, tell the other person everything that's wrong with them. That's devastating, right? We would never do that face-to-face with each other. I mean, I see my kids over there. They may do that to each other. But, I mean, we're not siblings with everybody. But that's exactly what a needs assessment does. It takes a long look at a community, specifically a community that has lived in persistent rural poverty for a long time. They take a long look at the community. They really dig in, you know, analyzing the community. And then it says... These are the worst things about you. That's a needs assessment. This is what you need. And what's even worse, big foundations and people who give grants ask for that information. They create that kind of space. Because the worst story you can tell, the more money you can get, right? We don't do that. But that perfectly captures a needs assessment. We ask, what do you have? What are your assets? Now, no matter where I've done this, and I just did it in a little bitty town in eastern North Carolina named Kanita, uh, spelled Conto, C-O-N-E-T-O-E. Locals pronounce it Kanita. From Kanita, North Carolina, to Sidon, Mississippi, the results of an asset mapping are absolutely powerful. Uh, now, we use our four priorities of hope. So, Together for Hope has four priorities of hope. Education, health and nutrition, housing and environment, and social enterprise. So, we build a relationship with the community. We get as many people from a cross-section of the community as we can, stick them in a town hall-type meeting, and say... All right, break them up into small groups and say, here's your exercise. For 10 minutes, write down every asset in education that you have. At one asset per sticky note, and we give them sticky notes. And they start talking amongst themselves, and they're writing all these sticky notes down. And after 10 minutes, we, we have an education wall. And we tell everybody, go put your sticky on the education wall. So they go put their sticky on the education wall, and this is what happens without fail. That community who's lived in persistent rural poverty for for decades, that community who's felt the oppression of an economy that's evaporated, an industry that has abandoned the people, that community that suffers with the hopes of maybe getting clean water, uh, good sewer systems, uh, good electricity, Those communities that have suffered underneath for decades look up at a wall and they say this, without fail, I forgot we have so much. Look at all the assets that we have. We have more here than we thought we did. And recently in Ohosky, North Carolina, we had a woman say, I learned so much about my town today. 
once they list their assets in these four domains, they have reframed their entire town based on what they have instead of what they need. And it begins to build hope, a powerful hope. They then become the reframing ambassadors for their own town. Now, all that bad stuff, all those needs, that's still true. But there is another truth. Their assets, those assets are true too. And now they have a different narrative. A narrative that builds community rather than cripples development. What's even more fun is to point out that the, all these assets, these aren't even their goals. They are their current reality. So asset mapping is just one way uh, to work with great people in rural America to begin to have hope. And it doesn't, it doesn't change reality, but it helps communities see their whole reality. We get so stuck in a vortex of despair especially when we live in parishes and counties of persistent rural poverty, that we can't see the assets sometimes, even when they're right in front of our face. What if I'd ask you, tell the other person everything that's good about their face? That would have been an easier exercise, right? There, you probably wouldn't have gasped. Uh, like I said, tell them everybody. Everybody here was like, oh. That's what you sounded like when I said, tell the other person what's wrong. By focusing, uh, by focusing them on uh, the good, we're able to see the good and begin to chart a way forward through the despair and through the poverty towards a hopeful future. And that's what we do, that's some of the stuff that we do at Together for Hope. Uh, now, we're not Jesus casting out poverty into the herds of pigs. We're much more like this man that Jesus healed. We feel like we're the ones that have been healed and, and been sent back into our communities to tell all the good things that Jesus has done for us. For the past three years, I've personally been working with the mayor of a small town in the Mississippi Delta, Sidon, Sidon, Mississippi. Mayor Johnny May Neal, uh, she's a true angel, sent back to her hometown of three, 400 people. Uh, we did an asset mapping exercise there before COVID, uh, and we've been watching that town come back alive. And just this last week, for the first time in the creation of the world, uh, South Main Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, this is a sister church to us, a CBF church there, they sent about 25 kids on a mission trip to the Delta, and 25 kids showed up in Sidon. Uh, they didn't do much. My two boys were with us. Uh, they just got bags out there, put gloves on, and they partnered up with local people, and they started cleaning up trash on the side of the road. The kids around the municipal building, we, did, we raked up leaves, bagged up leaves, put mulch down, made things a little bit prettier. And about a half dozen women fed those kids 
some of the best soul food in the Mississippi Delta. Now, it wasn't like the Calvary had arrived and saved everybody in Sidon. It was more like the community, while they had been working hard for all these years and building up their assets, that community of three to 400 people inside, they found out that they weren't alone. It's not just the 300 to 400 people out there in a tiny little town anymore. It's a whole constellation of churches and organizations all over America that will become their asset as well. You're a part of that. And that's where I see the intersection with our passage for today about this man and all those poor pigs, to be honest with you. What are we What are we willing to give up for all those who live in persistent rural poverty in America? What are we willing to give up for all of our sisters and brothers who are experiencing persistent rural poverty? What are we willing to give away in order for them to find economic, social, and even spiritual freedom? Would we give up all our pigs for one brother or sister who is stuck in the muck and the mire of legion? One of my favorite jokes is about two pig farmers. Pam's already, my wife's already laughing because she knows this joke. These two pig farmers, uh, they're out there, it's a hot day, and one of them asks the other, he goes, hey man, if you had, if you had 2,000 pigs, would you, would you give me 1,000? He goes, man, we grew up together. We've known each other all of our lives. You know if I had 2,000 pigs, I'd give you 1,000. Not too long later, the guy said, hey, if you had 500 pigs, would you give me 250 of them? He goes, man, come on, that's kind of, you hurt my feelings now. You know, we're, we're like family. If I had 500 pigs, I'd give you 250 of them. And finally he said, if you had two pigs, would you give me one? The guy looked at him angry. He goes, you know I only have two pigs. <laughs> if we only had two pigs, how much would we give away in order to save somebody's life? What is the value of our sisters and brothers to us? How much are they worth? What Jesus did was so upsetting to those who lived in Gerasene that they asked him to leave. 
I mean, it, there's a lot in that. I mean, there's so much there. It begs the question, like, if Jesus came and did something with us, would we ask him to leave? <laughs> I mean, we think we wouldn't. We always assume that we're like followers of Jesus. But if he came, to, what would he do if he ended up, showed up here, right? He, Jesus, ruined their entire economy. He ruined their entire economy. And for what? Some lunatic running around naked and uncontrolled. But Luke is an interesting gospel because Luke, it's in Luke that we find Jesus saying, if there's one that's lost, you got to go to that one. The lost sheep, the lost son, the lost penny. Jesus told this man in his actions that he was worth more than a field of pigs. We're gathered here this morning in a building dedicated to Christ, collected under a roof right now, room full of people, transformed by the love of God in Christ. We've come with our legion of problems. We've come with our questions about justice and fairness. We've come here wondering if we belong, wondering if we are loved, wondering if we have a place in such a cruel world. And like this blessed man, Jesus says, each one of us, each one of us, is worth more than a field of pigs. And if that's true for this man, and that's true for us, then it's got to be true for everybody. And may we be blessed in the telling of that truth. And before we get to our final amen, I want to thank this church for something not totally related to pigs. One of the most healing and spiritually profound moments in my life happened right here in this sanctuary about 15 years ago, 15 years ago this summer. I was the minister of missions at Wilshire Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, and we were on our youth mission choir tour. We had about 70 or 80 kids uh, with us, uh, and we were all over this area. I was in charge of their mission projects in New Orleans, so we were helping rebuild hurricane, uh, after Hurricane Katrina. This is in 2007. Uh, I was in charge of the mission projects. The Minister of Music was in charge of planning all of their concerts. Well, one of those concerts was right here. And as the week progressed... I got a phone call from a member of a church at Calvary Baptist Church in New Augusta, Mississippi. That was the first church I ever served as a pastor. Maybe 12 people. The woman told me that one of the kids that I had baptized had just been killed in a car wreck. She was 19 years old. 
and her parents were trying to get in touch with me because they wanted me to preach the funeral. Devin was a beautiful little 10-year-old girl when I baptized her in the Bogue Chittah Creek. Our church was so small, we didn't have a baptistry, so we had to wait till the spring where it got warm enough where we could all go down to the creek and do all our baptizing. I left the, mission, uh, the youth mission choir tour and came uh, to lead that funeral, console the family, and do my best to make sense of something that is, just seems so senseless. And when I came back to join our kids, I came back to this church. I came in late, and I joined the youth minister in the balcony right there. I was crushed on the inside. And all our 70, 80 kids, they filled this place up, and they started singing a song uh, that was pretty popular at the time by Allison Krauss. As I went down to the river to pray, studying about the good old way, and who shall wear that starry crown Good Lord, show me the way. I mean, I, abs <laughs> I absolutely lost it in that balcony. As I remember baptizing little Devin in that creek, surrounded by the church, and I wondered about her journey now. And I was wondering, Where in the world are you, God? Where in the world are you? And at that moment, right there, God was in the music. God was in the voices of those youth that filled the sanctuary. God was in that balcony. Just as God is right here, right now. I hope, I hope you know that you are so much more valuable than an entire field of pigs. Amen? Amen. So, in your worship guide, you have a picture of a pig. It's kind of playful, but in this moment of reflection, um, I want you to grab a pen, and I want you to look at that pig, and I want you to think about the sections of your life that you could give away. What could, get, what could you give away to your sisters and brothers? So just like in the meat packing district in New York where they have pigs lined up about what section of pig is what, think about your own life in sections. And go ahead and section that pig out as you reflect on the things that you can give away. And just start writing things down in the body of that pig that are things that you can give away. And, and think about all things. What are the assets in your life 
What are your strengths? What are you really good at? How has God created you to do certain things better than anybody else in all of God's creation? And start writing those things too. How can you give those away to the folks who need that space in your life? Go ahead and write that down and reflect on that. invite you to stand and join our voices together. Join me in thanking Jason for bringing uh, such a challenging and encouraging message to us this morning. We really appreciate you being here and being willing to share with us. 
Um, just a reminder, he's going to come up and do benediction in a moment, but just a reminder um, that we are having a special called business meeting as soon as this service concludes uh, so that we can hear the report of the uh, committee about the pastor search committee that's been formed. Um, so we know you're anxious to get out and get to um, Father's Day lunches and things like that, but please do um, stick around for just a few moments while we get those things together. Um, and I also know that you'll want to uh, greet and give your thanks to Jason and his family for being here with us this morning. So I'll invite you for our benediction. I hope this good word sends you away uh, with strength and conviction. Uh, it's a benediction that William Sloan Coffin, probably one of the best pro one of the best prophets of the 20th century, wrote. So please receive it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May God give you grace not to sell yourself short. Grace to risk something big for something good. Grace to remember that the world is now too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. May God take your minds and think through them. May God take your lips and speak through them. May God take your hands and work through them. And may God take your hearts and set them on fire. Amen.